Oh, so you were kind of like trying to make it seem like more things that you know, not just one thing. What are you doing? You're just, you're just completely raining on my bonfire. You are pissing on my bonfire. Hi, I'm Sid. And I'm Orla. And this is The Fate Escape, a podcast where we talk about people who came up from nothing. Um, right, I know you do have a person for this week. But I do. Before we get started, and my mum pointed this out to me when she listened to the trailer, we are talking about people who, you know, had very poor backgrounds, and we both sound really posh. Yeah. We um, sound posh, but we're not. Yeah, it just, you know, my mum sounds like this, who also, you know, grew up, you know, relatively uh, poor, not well off, um, in the same village, somehow. Shout out to Claire, yeah. honestly. Yeah. And Lindsay. Shout out to our mums. Like, let's just take a moment right now to just say, Claire and Lindsay, the best. Hi, mum. <laughs> Love you. <laughs> Do a little wave. Uh, yeah, well... D- did they not hear the wave? Um, so, this, if you couldn't tell, this is our first episode. Um, we don't really know what we're doing. Um, but we're, like, best friends. Ooh, who've known each other for 13 years. Yeah, so we went to the same secondary school, went to the same um, sixth form college, which was on the secondary school, to be fair. Um, yeah. yeah. And before, I was there. before I that, we knew each other from various really really poor quality child acting things poor quality from everyone else of course because yeah because we were bringing the class magnificent we were bringing the caliber rosamond pike went to my college at oxford and she don't have nothing on me you know who went to st andrews prince william you heard of him you know who went to oxford 45 probably not 45 a fuck ton of all the prime ministers that's not a good thing anyway back to the actual point of the podcast and so without further ado Ola, who are we talking about? Did you about? say a Jew instead of a do? Yeah, a do. No. I said, yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> I think they're different. I don't know, but I think they are. Say it again. A do? Like A-D-O? No, it's like a do. No, that's like goodbye. No, it's Greek. without further, further ado. Oh, no, you're right. Anyway, without further ado or ado, <laughs> Ola, who are we talking about this week? Today, said. Okay. Um... <laughs> I didn't mean that like that. I was just trying to make it. All right, then. Like a good lead-in. Today, we're talking about Rasputin. Grigory Rasputin. Okay. Um, And we did this basically... Well, I chose this because I find him really interesting. But also because I thought it'd be humbling to just butcher Russian names for, like, an hour. Okay, and I just, I just, I'm going to pause real quickly and say that the way we're planning to do this is that one of us presents the person, they've done the research on them, and the other person doesn't know beforehand who it's going to be. I did know you were going to do Rasputin, and knowing that I know very little about it, I had to actively not research this person. Mm. We had a very amusing conversation in a pub about Rasputin about a week and a half ago that you'll never get to hear, so mm. your loss. Very amusing, I assure you. <laughs> anyway, let's let's get let's get into Rasputin, shall we? Yeah. Right on in there. Um, um, no? <laughs> no, 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 no. So I know he was associated with the royal family. I know that he was running away and got shot a bunch of times and kept running. I know that he had quite quite a. a, a um, uh, are you trying to say Rasputin be fucking? Yeah, I was looking for the. Uh, that's not how I was going to phrase it. Um, no, <laughs> a frivolous sex life was was the. Frivolous? Can a sex life be frivolous? Um, okay, a 
a, yeah, I can't find the word, a something, a big sex life. He was, he, he did love debauchery. Yes, um, that. Um, what else? He, the, the Russian kid was bleeding. Mm. He had haemophilia. And uh, Rasputin put a bandage on him or something <laughs> to that effect. Um, a metaphorical bandage. And I know, just as a really rogue piece of trivia that I heard on another podcast in the past week, um, they saved, well, his, his, his penis was saved after he died and sold on for a while until they discovered it was actually a dried piece of sea cucumber. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, that was going to be one of my fun facts. Yeah, oh, yes. See. Although his daughter has said, and I don't know how she knows this, but his daughter has said like in the public like record that his penis was 13 inches when erect. <laughs> So I just, I don't know why, I thought that was going to be, his daughter has said that his penis was actually a sea cucumber. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I'd find that a less disturbing thing for his daughter to say. Um, yeah, yes. Um, I don't know what to do with that. That's so, sort of, that's disturbing in so many ways. How about we crack open a beer and we get into the life of Rasputin? Mm. Okay. So Rasputin is a name that is surrounded by legend, uh, one which will inspire one of two very different responses in people. For some, it will stir images of one of the most mystical, debaucherous, and, according to who you ask, influential figures in recent history. For others, it will mean a really catchy song gets stuck in your head for days. That's a funny little joke that I put in the script. What's the, what's the song? Ra, ra, Rasputin, lover of a Russian queen. There was a cat that really was gone. No? Okay, I just want to... I feel like I'm jumping ahead of myself, but Lover of the Russian Queen. Was that his official title? Or... No. Oh, yeah. um, we'll get into that. In fact, it's one of my myth-busting myths at the end. So he wasn't the lover of the He Russian wasn't the Queen. lover of the Russian Queen. Well, myth-busted. Myth-busted. Um, next week on The Fate of Skin. You heard it here first, bitches. Okay, but I, I interrupted you. Um, on your, on your, off on my, the top of your head. On my beautiful, speech. beautiful introduction. Um, so who was Rasputin? I, I don't know. I hear you cry. Oh. Um, <laughs> was he really the lover of Russia's final empress? I hear you cry. <laughs> Did he truly have magical powers which allowed him to heal the deadly ailments of a frail prince? And perhaps most importantly, how big of a role did he really play in the downfall of a 400 year long dynasty? Um, so this is where we get into me butchering Russian names. Uh, Grigory Yefimovich Rasputin, nailed it, was born to Yefim, a peasant farmer, and his wife Anna on January 21st in the Siberian town of Pokrovskoye. In the Siberian town of Pokrovskoye. Okay, I gonna... practiced that for like... <laughs> Five minutes. I'm gonna after you've done that, I'm gonna pause you there, knowing full well you might have to repeat it. Um and just you know, I, I know nothing about this period of history in Russia, basically. Um I have a vague sense of some other places in the world. Um not that history education in the UK is very anglicized or anything, but <laughs> just a bit. Um yeah, can you give me a scope? A four hundred year dynasty is mm-hmm. so so that's that's the Tsars. That's the Tsars with yeah. a T. Yeah, so the uh, Tsarist dynasty lasted, well, it ended with Tsar uh, Nicholas II in 1917 during the Bolshevik Revolution, right. which led to the, the rise of communism, um, which you can get ready for me to present a lot of people from that period of history because it's it's one of my favourite periods of history. Um, but prior to that, it was a 400-year dynasty. So if I did the maths very quickly, it started in the early 1500s. Um, and came to an end with the Bolsheviks um, 
Okay, and so you said he was born in Siberia, was it? He was born in Siberia. Which was a part of Russia. Part of the Russian Empire, yeah. yeah. It was part of Russia. Um, and it was Russia at this time. Yes, okay. and a particularly brutal part of Russia. So it was a place where a lot of political prisoners in the Russian Empire were sent into exile. There were a lot of work camps. It was also a very industrial um, part of Russia, but those that industry was isolated to very specific areas and the rest was pretty much just farmland. So okay. Rasputin was born about, uh, I think, five years after the emancipation of the serfs, which was the basically enslaved peasant class in Russia. And what, what, did, his, what, did, what did his parents do? His, pe- his father was a peasant farmer. Right. And there's no real... His mother real... was a wife, probably. His mother and, was a and, wife, yeah. yeah. Which is, yeah, um, that old bit of history, but yeah. Yeah, so um, he was one of eight children of his family, okay. but he was the only one to survive past early childhood. Because in peasant classes um, during this time, there was a massive amount of infant mortality. Um, well, it's actually, it's still true now that you're... I think for like the first three years of your life or something, your life expectancy goes up. Like just because you are still, I think people underestimate how how likely kids are to die. And, yeah, which is so interesting. Yeah, it's, well, my mum has quite. She's like, she really hates baby showers. <laughs> well, because she's always like, what if it's a miscarriage? That's such a depressing fact. Yeah, and it's always like, oh Jesus Christ! But you know, she kind of has a point. Mm, yeah, because um, that's not an uncommon thing. And it's, it's, I'm not saying people should talk about it. Obviously, it's a very traumatic thing, but, like, I, I don't know if... Yeah, it's sort of... But, yeah, sorry, that, that's a pivot. But, like, obviously, the rates were way worse back then. Mm. One out of eight is still pretty... Well, in this particular family... Um, yeah, yeah, I know, not as statistics as whole. But in many places, in the poorest parts of Russia, the birth rate was only slightly higher than the death rate, um, especially among infants. Um, so... It's kind of what you want, though. Well, yeah. It, 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 I feel like infant mortality is yeah, what well, you want. Yeah, maybe, maybe that's pretty dark, but like you know, if 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 we'd stuck with that. But for a place where cottage industry is massive, and for a place where, do you not know what cottage industry is? I know what cottages are, and I know <laughs> what industry is. Cottage industry is essentially where families make a product. All of the steps of the okay, manufacturing yeah. process are made in the home by this one family. So it's inefficient. Um, yes. But also, there's like a great deal of most people have a lot of children so that they have people to go forward and work on their farms. And so a massive amount of infant mortality just means a continuation of the poverty. So that's where Rasputin started life. But by the time he was killed 47 years later, he was seated <laughs> at the right hand of the most powerful woman in Russia. Um, with the power to place his friends in some of the highest political positions in the empire. Boo! <laughs> Sorry, I mean, good on him for coming up to that. Boo! The nepotism. <laughs> so, Robert Massey, who's a historian of Russia, um, and a really, really beautifully, like, he writes really beautifully about history, um, once wrote that only in Russia um, could the story of Rasputin take place. Um, and so to understand the story of maybe the fo- most famous monk, monk is in inverted commas. I knew he was called a monk, because I called him a monk before. You're like, he wasn't a monk, you know. He was, he was constantly... married! I know, but like, in my head, he was a monkey man. Not a monkey man. He was, he was, yeah. <laughs> a he, monk. A monkish man. A monkish man. He was Thank a monkish man. Yeah. So basically, in order to understand Rasputin, we've kind of already touched on this, we have to understand what Russia, particularly peasant life in Russia looked like 
in the in the early 20th century and the late 19th century. And so I've got a cheeky quote. Okay, okay, paint me a picture. I've got a cheeky primary source here. It's from a woman named um, Margaret or Margaret Eager um, or Margareta Eager, depending on where you look. Um, and she was an Irish woman who worked as a nanny in an aristocratic family. I think under... I'm not sure. Um, she worked as a nanny in an aristocratic Russian family and she wrote an account of her experience in Russia called Six Years at the Russian Court. And so this is a quote from her about what a, like a Russian peasant home would look like. A Russian cabin consists of about two rooms. One has a stove, a table, a wooden bench and a couple of chairs. A lamp or not, according to their means. Failing a lamp, homemade candles are burned. The inner room is often destitute of furniture. The father and mother sleep on top of the stove with as many children as can be fitted there. The others take pillows and lie on the floor in their clothing. So that's a quote that kind of demonstrates yeah. a little bit of what the home Rasputin was born into might have looked like. I um, just, as a tall guy, I know people were shorter then, but stoves must have been wider too. Because I'm, I just the idea of sleeping on a stove for me is I'd have a very warm bottom <laughs> and lower back. Perhaps. Yeah, I really can't imagine you fitting on a stove. No, to sleep. I'd possibly like, be curved backwards. <laughs> up um, um, so I do have a photo for you to kind of look at. Is um, it someone on a stove? It's not someone on a stove. Um, it's a photo of Rasputin's family. Right. So throughout his life, he went back and visited his family in Pot. In his hometown. Um, <laughs> That's a lot of hair. And so, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so, this is later on in his life when he'd made something of himself, but this is kind of an idea of what. Is, is Rasputin in that photo? Or? Yes, Rasputin is the man in that photo. He's the beard. He's, he's the grown ass boy in that photo. Okay, okay. That, and then that is his children. It's a lot. Of, and when I say a lot of hair, I'm assuming a lot of people possibly know what Rasputin looks like. I didn't. But anyway, it's like he's got his hair, he's got his beard, and then the sort of sides are just as thick as the beard in the top of his head. It's like he's encircled by a, a thick matting of I'm hair. upset that his sons don't have the same thing, you know? I'm upset yeah. they didn't pop out with all of that. Well, like, his, his, this kid's head is very hairy. Like, the top of his head looks, <laughs> looks dense, you know? The sort of thing where if you started to comb it, you might have to abandon the comb halfway through. Yeah, I see that. I see that. So, according to historian Douglas Smith, uh, Rasputin's youth and early childhood are a black hole about which we know almost nothing. And a lot of that is because of the, like, time in which he was living and right. the isolation in which he was living. And, you know, he, he's, you know he's, he's a peasant farmer kid. It, it's not a... Exactly. Yeah. And we have to bear in mind that... A lot of what we do know about Rasputin's life, or a lot of what we've heard that aren't from, like, primary sources specific accounts from the time, it's very difficult to know what of it is entirely true and what of it has been embellished um, during the um, communist period. So you're saying that he wasn't a magician? <laughs> is <laughs> this what I'm hearing? Hot take! Um, also, can um, I just, just be brief interjection here, just so I know where you're coming from with this? Because, you know, we're inevitably all going to be biased in the people we present. Say we all. We both are going to be biased in the people we present to some extent. Do you like Rasputin? I think he's kind of history's original girl boss. 
Like, oh, what is what is a girl boss? A hashtag girl boss. Um, a hashtag girl boss is somebody who it's basically kind of a a term that's used a lot that became in the like mid sort of two thousands, early twenty tens, like a really positive term for like women who've succeeded in business and stuff. But recently, it's kind of become uh, like an ironic kind of like derogatory term to talk about women who have essentially like made themselves through the exploitative means and ways of capitalism. And so the idea of like... Mm -mm, mm -mm, mm. (laughs) So really what you're condemning here is capitalism? Yes. Okay. I think... Just, just Kimmy, I'm massive pivot, but I'm gonna, you know, the, the sort of being derogative to, to people who come against the odds, you know, it is harder for a woman to succeed because you don't like the way she's succeeded. You don't like the system in which she lives. I think it's, I don't think it's a good thing to celebrate people who have massively benefited from an exploitative system. What about Bill Gates? What about I know Bill he's Gates? not, I know he's not. I don't woman, think there's but... any ethical billionaire. No, and I get that. I just think it almost it to me it almost sounds like a privileged position to be able to say, "Oh, but you've you've you know made something of yourself in this rubbish system." It's all very well to say that if you've got a standing in that system. Sure, but I don't have a standing in that system. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, to an extent. I'm like, just straight up vibing, mate. It's it's a difficult one, and I think that because capitalism, you know, we exist in late capitalism, so it's difficult to critique anything. I, I'd want to jump in here and say that I'm not against capitalism uh, in any form. Um, I think, yeah, in some cases it has been exploited to an extent, but as as is the nature of it, it's an imperfect system. It's the one we got. I don't think any system's perfect because humans aren't perfect. And I think there's no ethical consumption under capitalism. Okay. Um, but let's get back to Rasputin, whose story happened at no point during any system, which was capitalist. Was it not? No, he basically. Well, I don't know. The uh, like the very late Tsarist period could maybe cons- be considered. Wait, so so if it's not capitalist, and I'm assuming it, it, it wasn't communist back then. No, it was basically the feudal system in a lot of ways. Right. It's difficult to like. So you kind of exist in the class you're in, and that's that. Yeah. Well, you got to say, capital- capitalism does allow for mobility. It doesn't accommodate it particularly well, but at least it exists. Yes. i got to look, yes, everyone. but no. Okay, uh, okay. Anyway, <laughs> carrying on. Um, we're Moving gonna, I, I swear to God, we are going to have this argument every single week. I genuinely believe that. Okay, so, son of peasant farmer, mm-hmm. sitting next to the queen. Yes. How do we get there? Great question, Sid. Thank you, thank you. That was, do you know, what that... I'm trying to do is fill in the middle. Well, do you know what, Sid? I can help you fill in that middle. Brilliant. Uh, so, as I said, it's difficult to know kind of a lot about Rasputin's childhood, particularly because when the Communist Party took over in Russia, a lot of the accounts of the Tsarist period were embellished, changed, or... Um, made to seem more demonic than they were. Um, Not that I'm saying, fuck yeah, I love the Tsarist period. I'm absolutely not. But we have to take everything we kind of know about figures from that time, from sources written later on with a grain of salt. History student. 
Um, but he, he like started to gain this reputation for debauchery um, early in childhood, for drunkenness, for petty crimes. Later on, crimes such as like horse thievery and blasphemy were attributed to him. My God, he blasphemed! I know, fucking hell! That My God, <laughs> Jesus <laughs> bloody Christ! <laughs> My grandma's gonna listen to this, and she's a vicar. Um, Hello, Mrs. Power. Thornette. Hello, Mrs. Thornette. Thornette. It sounds as I got a double T. Reverend Joan Thornette, love you, bitch. Shout Sorry, out I here can't to... say love you, bitch, to my eighty-three-year-old grandmother. Shout out here to Reverend Joan. Joan, did you say? Joan. My grandmother's called Joan. Oh my god, I love okay. that. I can't believe we didn't say that. Shout out to Reverend Joan Thornette. Um, if people want to join her flock, they can find her at. Where would they find her? You want me to like tell you our address? No, or... you will find her somewhere. Get looking, folks. Okay, <laughs> carry on. Country. Um, so, yeah, and so Rasputin um, isn't his surname. It's a surname that he gained throughout his life. So that's the way it surnames. It means, Sid, drunk or debauched. Wow, what a great surname. Which means his name is kind of... Mr. Gre- drunk. His name is Greg Drunk. <laughs> and I bet he did. Uh, (laughs) and I bet he did we'll be back after this commercial break we're not doing commercials adverts are evil and there will never be adverts on this podcast oh so you agree that there's no ethical consumption under capitalism okay now hang on let me back that up I'm fine with adverts (laughs) I just don't want them anywhere near me I don't have anything against them ethically I just get pissed off irrationally and very strongly at certain things. And adverts in podcasts specifically happen to be one of those things. I love podcast ads. There's this one podcast ad. I can't remember what it's for. I think it's for this 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 true crime podcast. Um, and just the way that the woman talks no, right. makes me so happy. So if you binge listen to podcasts, which I intend to do, because so at the moment I'm doing like you know I'm doing manual labour. Oh, like, who are you? Well, yeah. Sorry, it's just really funny hearing that I'm doing manual labour from your voice. So at the minute, I'm a, I am doing manual. See, labor. I hate that because I've sort of been doing jobs like this now, and you know, sort of like bits of me doing jobs, almost scratchy jobs. Like I'm doing, you know, I'm just doing some stuff around the chat's house. I'm working the workshop a bit. Like he makes kitchens. I'm doing some of that. So I listen to podcasts a lot. You know, machines are on and stuff. Podcasts are under the ear defenders. Lovely. Multiple podcasts in a row from the same podcast maker. And the same adverts, again, and again, and again, exactly the same. It's even worse when they personalise the adverts. See, I don't agree because some podcast adverts, one, you can just skip most of them, but two... That's exactly it. I'm doing something, I have to stop, take my phone out of my pocket and skip, like, a minute. Yeah, I quite like some podcast adverts, I find them really funny. Um... Others, there's recently been one, I listened to this true crime podcast called Red Handed. Love you ladies. Hannah Saruti, literally, you could cut my throat and lick the blood off and I'd say thank you. Okay. Um, (laughs) It's not an expression that that I've used. Hannah Saruti of Red Handed podcast, big fan. Is that better? Yeah, I like that. Um... And there's this one advert on that constantly that's trying to get people to become a police officer. And I'm like, mm, you maybe don't know your audience. <laughs> <laughs> well, it could be because, you know, like we're on Acast 
and they can automatically put adverts in. Yeah. If you pay money to them, which I don't want to do because I have no money. Fair. My, yeah. yeah, me neither. We could no. Anyway, so Rasputin. Rasputin. Ra ra Rasputin. Gregory. So yeah, because no, earlier we were talking about surnames because we were talking about the origin of Rasputin yes, so as a surname. What was his actual surname? So Is this his, a thing? So in a lot of cultures, like earlier, it would be the father's surname, the uh-huh. father's name with an avich, which means son of, I think. Okay. So or from. So his name was Grigory Yefimovich Rasputin. Oh, so what became his effective? What I'm thinking now as, as a middle name was originally his surname. Probably, I actually don't know okay. the the like specific thing, but, but it's, it's interesting that he like gained it. I quite like the idea of that. It'd be very nice to be in that sort of culture because you'd be like, "Wow, I know exactly Hi, where I stand." I'm Hugh Percival, maths nerd. Yeah, maths nerd likes the occasional drink. Yeah, they got it. That's, that's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the real question is kind of how did Rasputin go from this kind of debaucherous, kind of suspicious character notorious for kind of thinking he was a bit mystic notorious for being weirdly into horses how did he go from that to being a holy man um a holy man so revered that the tsarina of russia trusted him i don't know how did he well said i'm ready to tell you so his kind of like religious journey began at about the age of 18 when he went on a pilgrimage to a monastery um, and pilgrimages, religious pilgrimages, just walking, like fucking trekking it, pilgrimages. Was the monastery in Siberia? Or it was are we talking called like Nepal? Verkhotsha. 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 Well, so all I've established here is that it's not in England. It's not in England. <laughs> I think it was also in Siberia. Okay. okay. Um, I will look that up for you, Zed. It's in Russia. It's in Russia. Um, so... So he didn't get very far, is what I've got in my head. I know I Russia's mean, quite I big. if you're walking it, do you want me to look up walking directions from... <laughs> Just, I want to, on Google Maps, I want to know how long this pilgrimage was. That's Because something I'm very interested in is whether he was actually, not actually a holy man, but whether he was devout to his faith in the sense that whether he actually believed it or whether it was all a lot of hoo-ha to get in places. And that's a very hard question to answer. Except by how far did he actually walk? To be fair, he was all about that hoo ha. <laughs> yeah, well, I know that, but that's besides the point. <laughs> <laughs> Pokrovskoya? Pokrovskoya. Walking directions. <laughs> Seven hours in a car, so I'm gonna go with quite far. What's that average speed in the car? What, 30 miles an hour? 90... Times about 10, 70 hours? 99 hours. That's a far. He's probably slow. But so, 100 hours, so, what, working days, that's, I, sorry, <laughs> that's how I've decided to think. That's like 12 and a half working days of walking. Uh-huh. So, that's a significant pilgrimage, because so you, you can consider, he had to get back. He did. So, that's 25 days of walking. Okay. That's a lot of days of walking. Assuming he's walking um, 8 hours a day. Um, so, basically, there are kind of like a lot of theories about why he left Pokrov Square when he was 18. But the two most credible are A. He had a vision of the Virgin Mary and was compelled to go. I feel like B is very different to A. B. He was forced to leave the village under suspicion of stealing a horse. I vote B. Interesting. Maybe. it's but Maybe it was the vision 
of the Virgin Mary, who was like, you stole my bloody horse. And so it's both. That's kind of fun. Yeah, yeah. No one ever thinks about the outside We should write a paper. We should write a paper. When you say Um, we, I assume you're doing most of the work, right? (laughs) What, like when I was her girl and you were her boy? That was your choice. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So anyway, while he was there, he met a group of monks who were flagellants, essentially, um, which is a... Yeah, no, I know. Yeah, and they they whip themselves. Well, yeah, or it's a... It doesn't necessarily always mean that. Sometimes it just means... Or they punish themselves or deprive themselves of things in order to become closer to God. Um, just, so, just, to, just to clarify here, because I know some people call Rasputin a monk. These were actual celibate monks. They were straight up monks. Celibacy right. was a massive thing for them. Um, Rasputin met them, loved it, was there for a bit, did not stay, um, did not become a monk, returned to Pog. Do, do we? Sorry, just to, do we know anything about his early? Um, you know. Sort of romantic entanglements. Was he a? Was, he wasn't. Was... He was weird. People did not like him in his village. I see. Um, but when he got back, oh baby, did he get on it? And by on it, I mean her, his new wife, who he married nice, um, nice, when he done. was the age of nineteen. I think she was about twenty-four. And this so. is back in Pok- Pokraskoy. Yep. Uh, so she was a spinster. Um, Hot. And. <laughs> Ooh, we love an older woman. Um, so he married an older woman, um, and who like went on to bear him four children. Um, but this just like didn't settle him. Didn't take his fancy. He wasn't vibing. Just chilling in his hometown. Um, so he continued to go on these pilgrimages, um, pilgrimages which took him to uh, Greece, Jerusalem, um, Greece. He walked to Greece. <laughs> Apparently. No, bollocks. I'm, I'm sorry, that can't be right. Do you know what? Take it up with Britannica.com, Sid. Maybe I will. But okay, he's um, walked to Greece. He's walked to Jerusalem. He's fucking... He is. I'm assuming he's on... Okay, in my he's head, he's on a boat and a horse. He's got shoes. So, eventually, it's sort of 1904 time, by mm-hmm. which point Rasputin was quick maths. Um... Well, I've forgotten when he was born, in, so I can't was, help you. He was born you. in 69. Okay, so, well, that's um, 31, add the... And yeah, the so he was in said. his early 30s, so fucking ancient by peasant standards. When he first made it to St. Petersburg, which was the home of the royal family, the seat of power in Russia in 1903. Um, so, yeah, early 30s, um, where he kind of becomes a fascination for the aristocratic class in St. Petersburg. Because at the time, which has been kind of a recurring thing throughout rich people all over the shop, mysticism and the occult were quite a popular field of interest. So the Orthodox Church were the dominant and in fact the only religion. Um, There was massive persecution against other religions in the country, particularly the Jews. And so Orthodoxy, Russian Orthodoxy, was kind of the only religion. And that's Christianity, yeah? Just to... Yes, okay. it's, a, it's a form of Christianity. <laughs> cool, cool, um, cool, cool. But within that, mysticism and the occult kind of became this fascination. And so Rasputin, who was this outsider, this peasant, this kind of person that these upper-class aristocrats had never really seen before, became kind of a fascination okay, for them. Okay, but right, if I can just, just stop right there. How did he get into those circles? Because I think with a lot of people we're talking about, and this is what I was thinking the other day when we were recording, you know, some things for the trailer. And I didn't want to say it because I wanted to bring it up now. Because I think for people who did come up from nothing, 
there, there are two almost two main points that you should see in most of their lives, which is the hard work, something they've done, something different from what a lot of people might have done, and then there's the luck. Mm. And I think these both come in. You've got you've got the work factor and you've got the luck factor. How did he get into these? For Rasputin, you've got the walking factor and the friends factor. Okay, so he had friends. Yeah, so I think the fact that he was a fascination and the fact that it was something new and different made him. So there were no other like holy peasants in town. Uh, there were none that were as successful as him. There were other famous... That, that, that's my point. How did he get to that level of success? Um, so he was welcomed. He was met by um, the inspector of the Religious Academy of St. Petersburg, um, who was named uh, Theophan, um, and also the Bishop of Saratov, whose name was um, Homogen. So he's coming in on quite quite ahead of steam. Like... Um, I think he came in and had kind of a reputation behind him because he built kind of this aura around him, this air of mystery, and also did have his own kind of followers, people who believed in so him. So already, from, from all the walking he's done, basically, like from the pilgrimages around the world, words got back to Russia. Kind of, yeah. And like, um, he, he is known at this point. He's not just some random peasant. Yeah, he's not well known, but people are aware of him, kind of the myth of him as... But he's he's yet to really uh, break through. Right. Okay. okay. Um, and so he, yeah, so he was welcomed by kind of these two key players in the Russian in the Saint Petersburg religious scene, and was there for about two years, kind of playing the field, living his best life before 1905, when Rasputin was first introduced to Russia's royal family. Um, 1905, if I recall correctly, that's the around the time of the Russo-Japanese War. Fucking hell, get it, gal! Right? Right? We did GCSE history, bitch! Yeah, was that in it? Uh, maybe? Yeah, maybe. But anyway, I know it. It's a thing. <laughs> yeah, um, so that is, so this was, like, like Sid said, he's on it. This was an extremely tumultuous time for Russia. They got bested. They really did. Utterly by the Japanese. Yeah, fucking, honestly, Japan nailed it. Um, if you're listening, Japan nailed it. Well. <laughs> <laughs> but this was, a lot of it was account of, on account of the fact that, well, there were a lot of reasons, but Nicholas, the Tsar, um, was really inexperienced. He was quite, kind of a shy man. He was a quiet man. One of these rookies, um, are yeah oh god you can't trust him he was also he was a deeply religious man and very intensely believed in like the divine right of kings he very intensely believed that he was meant to be in that position um and so it was he was very difficult to give advice to and wouldn't take a lot of advice and his wife alexandra was a german-born british raised noble she's granddaughter of queen victoria um I know, hot girl oh, shit, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, hot girl. I just want to say, just shit. The level of confidence you need to be like, no, 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 I'm right. It's divine. Just like you know, it's the divine right, kings, bitch. No, no, Zarian imposter syndrome happening there. <laughs> just because we live our lives surrounded by imposter syndrome. Yeah, I was gonna say, like, oh, yeah. but am I really qualified to be a czar? <laughs> I feel like I missed my czar lessons. He was born to be a czar. Okay, okay. No, I, was, I respect the confidence, but, you know, in the nature of this podcast, that comes with privilege. Yeah, but he's rich as fuck. Yeah. Um, as was his son, Alexei, um, who was the only son of the Tsar and the Tsarina. Who was um, the one who had... Haemophilia. Whoa, hang on, sorry. Tsarina. Tsarina. Was that the name of Mrs. Tsar? No, her name was 
Alexandra. No, 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 but, no I know. Yeah, Mrs. Is that the title? the Tsarina, yeah. That's such a cool title. Yeah. Sorry, I just got, I'm loving the name Rasputin and Tsarina. Run off together. Names of my kids. <laughs> I have beautiful little twins, and they're named Rasputin, Rasputin and, and Tsarina. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I quite like them. It's and I pretty like it strong. Because people would always spell Zarina with a Z, and I'd get to be real, I'd real twat about it. And I'd be like, no, it's a T-S. Um, but anyway, so, Zarina. Sorry. Yeah. I sort so, of derailed us there. <laughs> Her only son, Alexei, had haemophilia, and he was essentially considered the future of the Russian Empire. He was the only son and therefore the only heir. And so the fact that he was so gravely ill was a bit of a shit show. Bless him. I know. Not ideal. Frail, yeah, so frail like, boy. It, so he didn't have the country behind him because he wasn't an inspiring leader. Nobody knew about it but Ooh. the royal family. And that becomes really important later on in the story of Rasputin. Um, because he cured the bleeding. He, he, he fucking cured them, mate. Um, okay, I want to jump ahead, but no, carry on, carry on, carry on. <laughs> So the first time that Rasputin actually met the royal family was in 1905 but it wasn't until 1908 that he kind of became so trusted to them because he was summoned uh, to their palace during one of the uh, bouts of new bad haemophilia really bad bleeding that came with Alexei's condition and was apparently able to cure him is this just as a holy man they were like oh shit we tried everything else let's get what's his name let's get horse thief essentially <laughs> So they were both, let's get horse, thief, horse one, thief. Rasputin. Yeah, okay. Um, they were incredibly religious people and also were willing to try anything because not only was it their only son who they loved, it was also the heir and the person who the like future of their empire rested on, you know? Okay, so, and now I want to go specifically into this. How did he cure the haemophilia? I mean, obviously not cure, he didn't fix him of having haemophilia. How did he address the bleeding? So there were quite a lot of theories about this. And a lot of people are like, what the fuck? Some people are like, mate, it was just magic. Um, I, I don't buy that next theory. <laughs> but in reality, there are kind of two main kind of things that we can point to, which are why Rasputin was able to alleviate the boy's suffering so much. The first is hypnotism. A lot of people believe that Rasputin was pretty skilled in quite a primitive form of hypnotism. As, a, as opposed to the advanced forms you get nowadays. Some hypnotism's pretty iconic. Uh, mm, um, mm, okay, okay. Okay. Okay, sorry, sorry. But anyway, hang on. Some, some, uh, yeah, tune into our bonus episode. Is there ethical consumption under capitalism? And can hypnotism do anything? Um... <laughs> <laughs> Don't listen to that episode. It's a load of bollocks. Anyway, carry on. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so hypnotism is one of like the main things is that he didn't actually cure Alexei, but he was able to alleviate his pain through hypnotism. But he's bleeding. Well, All over the place. No, internally. Hemophilia is internal. Well, no, sorry, he's he... not just fucking bleeding. No, 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 no. Hang on, hang on. Because hemophilia is you don't have enough platelets, basically. That's not necessarily internal. That means when you get cut... It's not going to congeal mm. but within any appreciable time. So he's he... bleeding internally, is what we said. Yes. Like, if he stubbed his toe, then there would be a function of, like, internal bleeding. It'd be like, oh, shit. You know? I don't really understand the ins and outs of haemophilia, I'm not going to lie. But basically, the two main theories as to how Rasputin was actually able to help are A, hypnotism, 
and be his main thing whenever um whenever he was called to visit was tell the doctors to leave him the fuck alone tell the doctors to stop touching him tell the doctors to stop whatever treatment they're trying to do to be fair Doctors were shit for a exactly. long, long time. So that's why, like, a lot of uh, people believe that that kind of course of action, him telling them that, was um, like an incredibly important thing in making Alexi better because it prevented these early twentieth century doctors from fucking with this little boy anymore. And so, those are kind of the two main theories as to why he was considered so healing. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is this one story about a time when Alexi was on a hunting trip with the royal family and got injured and so had like, and was close to death. And Rasputin was able to cure him through a letter. Sorry, through a letter? As in wrote a letter. And the letter, whatever it said, cured him. Did no one else read the letter? I don't know. I know, I'm... What? What? Listen. Hang on, hang on, hang on. How long did it take to send the letter? <laughs> I don't know. Who? who? <laughs> that is a ridiculous. I'm liking this this Rasputin fellow less and less. <laughs> um, you just don't like flimflam. Well, you know, he really was a flimflam well, this, man. This is the problem. Like I was expecting someone who's been embellished slightly, but it's sort of at the level where all of it's bollocks or none of it's bollocks, and all of it's bollocks. <laughs> He just. Do you know what? It, it's not like oh, I could see how this is credible and it's been embellished through the years. This is this was you know BS to start with. He just fully big dick energyed himself into. Do you know what? He's quite lucky, really. He's like, well, I hope this letter does something. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> yeah, literally. He... Knock knock. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> so basically, because of this because of these like early kind of healing practices that Rasputin did um he became the most trusted advisor of Alexandra and so he wasn't that was his job that that became his day job he was advising yes kind of no he was no (laughs) he was her spiritual advisor the Tsarinas the Tsarinas and he was there to ensure that Alexei was safe and well. So he was a sort of vague bigwig. Yes, yeah, he became... He was there, you know, being important. He became a very important member of the court, and the difficulty with this was that nobody else really knew about Alexei's haemophilia. It was his, it was like an incredibly well-kept secret. So it was hard to justify Rasputin being there. Exactly, and right. so all of these rumours around Rasputin and his orgies mm. and his drinking and his poor Which hygiene... Which made it look like he was the lover of Tsarina. The lover of a Russian queen. I see. Yes. So I get how they got to that conclusion. Yeah, I so see it. it's incredibly unlikely that Rasputin and Alexandra are actually having an affair. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I'm coming into this quite quite fresh, and I'm just saying, have you seen his beard? <laughs> no, but I've seen his pickle dick. <laughs> you can Google it, bitch. Uh, that's actually a sea cucumber, <laughs> and it's far less than 13 inches long. <laughs> um, so, this is kind of how he ended up as such an important member of the court. Um, but things really became a hashtag problem. Um, I did that just for my mum because she puts hashtags before everything and I get mad at her about it because it's not funny but also I thought it was kind of funny so hashtag annoying <laughs> hashtag hypocrite 
Sorry. Um, so that's how he kind of became like this really like best bros with the royal family. And so while he was with them, he kind of tried to consistently maintain this humble peasant, I'm a good boy, I'm just a farm boy kind of so, energy. And just to put time frame on again, this is sort of 1908 onwards. Yes. So in 1908, he's what, 39? So he's reaching his 40s and he's become respected, he's in the court and he's, you know, putting on a humble face for the royal family. He's become loved by the royal family. He has not become respected within Russia. Mm. Um, tabloids circled around him constantly. Um, they had tabloids in 1908? Feck yeah, baby. Really? <laughs> yeah. What did the tabloids write about? It must have been very dry business, if I'm honest. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> but, like, outside of kind of the, the specific inner circle of um, the Tsar, Tsarina and their children... He was considered a debaucher, he was considered a sexual deviant, he was considered a drunkard. And a lot of that was probably true, you know, there are specific reports of, like, orgies that he had, um, which, get a gal, honestly. I'm sorry, specific reports? Specific Who reports. Who reported specifically Well, because on a lot of people during these times kept diaries. Oh, I see, I see. People loved to die. people loved to journal. I have a journal. Do you? Oh, I've only been, it's, it's a recent thing, but I've written in it. Every day less one since the 6th, no, the 5th of June. Am I in it? Um, yeah, yeah, of course. Because I've talked about the podcast. Because we're best friends. Um, I say my very casual acquaintance all apart. Because we're best, because we're best friends. Uh, I I got a lot of friends. Because we're best friends. I don't hierarchy my mates. We're best friends. Okay. Um... (laughs) Um, I, I, one day I will get you to admit it live on air. Live, live, live on air. I don't know what scenario this one live day is in. Live from the shed in my garden. Sit at me. Oh, come on, it's a bit glamorous. <laughs> but anyway, sorry. Oh, you mean the fact that there's a framed photo of you on the wall? I'm not going to provide any context for Who that. Who would I do didn't... that but a best friend? The frame is inflatable. You're ready to pop that and throw me out of here. <laughs> um. But yes, sorry, you were saying, you know, he went to orgies, no one in the court likes him, no one in Russia likes him. I think he's kind of become this, like, very scandalous, mystical, kind of confusing figure by this point. And he has enemies, he definitely has enemies, and we'll get on to all of the um, quite intense murder attempts later on. Um, As opposed to those casual murder attempts. Oh, I missed! Oh well. (laughs) I tried! (laughs) Um, but by 1911, so sort of three years after he became an incredibly trusted advisor of the royal court, he has become such a scandalous thing and such an honestly kind of danger to the stability of the Russian royal family. Because you have to consider this as a politically tumultuous time. There was just a, there was just like um, a bloody revolution in 1905. You know, was there really? There was. Did, I tell you, it didn't go very well. Well, it actually, I mean, it actually did because they were able to establish the Duma, which was the first um, elected parliament in inverted commas in Russia. Like, they did make changes, but it just wasn't ultimately successful. Okay, okay. And so, yeah, by 1911, his behaviour had become a problem. And it was at this point that Stilipin, the prime minister, sent the Tsar a report on 
Rasputin, his misdeeds, the way in which he was essentially like defaming the name of the royal family. Does this prime minister have power? Stilipin, yeah. Stilipin is a really interesting figure, actually. Um, I, I, I like the name Stilipin. It's really I just, cool. All of these names, um, they sort of bring a little smile to my face. They're like, oh, that's that's nice. His agricultural and industrial changes in Russia are actually really fascinating. Okay, okay. Um, But then they have some power. Yeah, they're vibing. Um, not necessarily to do things. But like, so, so, so obviously this is like an imperialist emperors and stuff. But yeah. here we have the prime minister... Growing and an influence, I'm assuming. He's basically like, this Rasputin <coughs> fella is fucking with your image. Right. Get it together, lads. Mm-hmm. And the Tsar basically has no choice at this point but to expel Rasputin from the court because Whoa. otherwise people are going to be like, what the fuck? And just, hang on, um, sneak preview. When when are the Tsars overthrown? What year? 1917. 1917. So this is six years before that. This is six years before that. And he's that. like, you're ruining our image. This all happens in an incredibly short space. Yeah, I was going to say, this, yeah. this is, you know, quick fire. Um, so um, this happens, uh, but ultimately within weeks, Rasputin is brought back to court. Sorry, not weeks, months. Because um, that's just more weeks. Because <laughs> there is more weeks. Um, because uh, Nicholas's wife Alexandra, the Tsarina, um, was incredibly anxious not to put her son in danger because she genuinely believed that Rasputin was the only person who could. Well, that's quite sweet, man. Yeah, didn't get great for They yeah. really loved each other, that family, yeah. and they died together in a basement. So when a basement in a basement, yeah, interesting. Um, yeah. So I, I just that's only that's. Besides anything to do with anything, but like just <laughs> so many other countries have basements, <laughs> it's not really a thing here. And so, whenever like anyone mentions a basement or like a cellar, I'm like, oh, cool. Yeah. My grand has a cellar, yeah. it's right next door. We'll go look at We went in on my 18th birthday, did we? Yeah, was I here for that? Yes, was I drunk? Yes, I see. <laughs> I was very drunk. Oh, no, because we spent the night, yeah, at your nan's house, yeah. yeah. Anyway, yeah, sorry, uh... sorry, 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 guys. <laughs> Uh, so, kind of the like the peak of Rasputin's power and the point at which everything started to really crumble um, for the royal family and for Rasputin was in 1915. So, as we know, as we the gang know, um, the World War One started in 1914. I've heard of that. Um, and it was going pretty fucking badly for Russia. They were not having a good time. Right. Um, and in many ways, like, Russia has been one of the key players in the victory in both World War One and World War Two um, mm-hmm. for the Allied forces, but largely that is because of just sheer manpower. Just purely throwing people at the problem. And winter, of course. They love winter. <laughs> Um, no one could care. They the really get on winter. But in 1915, Nicholas II decided, really stupid idea, Nick, if you're listening, not a great plan, um, decided to take personal control of the armed forces, mm-hmm. which meant he went to the front and took responsibility, all of that stuff. But it also meant that he was personally blamed by essentially everyone for all of the failures of the armed forces um did, did he i don't know if you but like did he do a bad job well they were I mean, are, are we being because you know there obviously wasn't a great position to be in um was it that he was a particularly incompetent leader or was it just the way things were objectively he was a pretty incompetent military leader oh, cool. he didn't have great ideas so things were going bad he took control things went worse 
Uh, they were just consistently pretty bad. That's not as bad. But... <laughs> Do you know they... what I mean? It's not like he came in and fucked everything up. But they left... He left Alexandra in charge in Russia. Um, uh, because she was the person he trusted the most. They really loved each other. It's kind of adorable. But the problem with that was, first of all, the people of Russia had their suspicions about Alexandra because she was German. She was German-born. She was technically a member of the German royal family still. And so they didn't trust her, particularly in this war. Like, people, tabloids reported that she was a German spy. And then additionally, she had Rasputin seated by her side. Well, not like, they weren't, like, Mm. in, like, matching thrones with, like, matching hats, you know, but... And um, he was, he was there, yeah. and he was already a figure of, you know, sort of shady background. Yeah, vit- vitriol. Uh, vitriol? Mm-hmm. Vitriol. Um, I just want to say in advance of my week that the vocabulary I will be using to describe my people will be much lower grade. <laughs> um, but yeah, so... Social turmoil. Love that. Mm. It's my favourite kind of turmoil. So... Rasputin, seated by her side, became even more politically influential than he was before because to Alexandra, he was like the most trusted person in her life because he was healing her son. So he was able to implement his friends in positions of power. So, and this, this, you know, from my sense, that's him starting to abuse his power. Yes, definitely. So it's like, while a lot of like, like, he may not have been liked, but at this point it's very actively... He is doing things in the court that abuse the position he's been given. Yes. And I think he... I don't know. I th- I mean, he's a drunk. He's vibing. I... I, I... I love... Sorry, in my head, he's sort of got here in a drunken haze. Like, he's like, he's, like he stole a horse. He's like, I, I've got to leave here. And he's just been walking and walking, and then, you know, he's like, you know, you're fine, kid. You know, you're, you're not bleeding anymore. He writes a letter, and now he, all, he's getting all his mates to drink with him, and this is where he's at, you know, with the Russian royal family. Yeah, <laughs> and basically, so he's just essentially fucking about getting his best mates, who are not qualified for the jobs, no, I can into um, positions of political power, and things aren't going well. And mm. it's at this point that the turntables for Rasputin, um, in terms of the world... Oh, how the turntables How the turntables. Um, in terms of especially how people feel about him, it just tips over the edge. And this is where we kind of get into the death of Rasputin. Now I'm excited for this bit. So there were several attempts made on Rasputin's life um, throughout kind of his later years um, Mm. when he came into this position of political power. Um, And I'm going to tell you in a second about the one that eventually killed him after a lot of fucking trying. Um, But I want to tell you about um, another one first just because I think it's kind of fun. So I want to tell you about uh, June of 1914. So World War I has started? World War I... Hasn't started. It starts in August. August. Yeah. Okay, okay. I'm not checking it. Look out. I I feel like I should know when World War I started, but in my head it's April. It might be April. It's July! Fuck! 
I was closer. I was closer, bitch. I was closer. You were. This you is were technically still before. Okay. <laughs> I do a history degree. It's. Fine. I don't, so I feel beautifully vindicated <laughs> in a, in anything, you know. Um. So Rasputin, throughout his life, continued to go back to visit his hometown when he was exiled by the Tsar for like 20 minutes because Stilipin was like, fuck you. He went back to his hometown to sulk. Like he continued to go back to his hometown. But he was hating his hometown when he was younger. When he was younger, but now he's like a success story. Right, I see. And also his wife and kids are there. Um, And so he goes back there in June of 1914. And while he's there, a woman tries to kill him. I'd like you to just kind of give me some ideas. Tell me what you think this woman was like. What she was like? Mm. Okay, so this is going to be what I don't expect. And either she's going to be super crazy or super normal. Mm. And I'm going to go for super crazy. She had she had a pet snake called James. Mm. And she'd take it everywhere. And at Very one point, Russian At name. one point she threw the snake at Rasputin and went, Rah! <laughs> Any other, her physical, just like, what do you think she looked like? <laughs> okay, was this more what you were going for? This <laughs> more what I was going for. <laughs> uh, again, it's got to be really weird to mean anything. So she had, she had a moustache um, and uh, was missing a finger she on, didn't, on her left hand. She didn't have a nose. Did um, she not? She didn't have a nose. I saw, I couldn't have it. I got and a finger. I, I've, got I, a, I've got a photo of her. Oh, she didn't have a nose. She did not have a nose. So that was a genetic... Uh, no, or did they, so like, cut off her nose? There are two ideas about this. One is that she had a negative reaction to medication when she was younger. So, <laughs> negative. <laughs> <laughs> my nose! Sorry, my nose! <laughs> um, the second is syphilis. Um, Sorry, I was already laughing, <laughs> and then I, feel, I felt really bad because you said syphilis, and now I laugh more, and now so, I feel really bad. Syphilis was rampant at this point because STIs were rampant at this point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and there's this like kind of like rogue theory that Rasputin was the one who gave her syphilis, and that's why she hated him. But that seems unlikely. He took her nose. Yeah, but that seems unlikely. That would make me mad. It would make me mad too. But the reality probably is that, well, we know that she was a follower of Iliador, who was a rival preacher and holy man in Russia at the time. And so the likelihood is probably that she attempted to kill Rasputin because of this. But she attempted to kill Rasputin in 1914. Sorry, just before we go on, I've just said, <laughs> I've just said, like, oh my god, what if Voldemort had syphilis? <laughs> And I've just got this whole different spin. Honestly, that would be the least problematic thing J.K. Rowling has ever written. Very, very true. <laughs> oh, I, it ruins everything when you look back on it. It really does. Ah. Um, so when this woman whose yeah, name... she tries to kill him. Yeah, her name is on record, but I can't pronounce it. Can I see it? It's Russian. Can I, can I make can a fool of myself? You can look it up if you want. I'll oh, look it okay, up. Okay, I'll Google it. Who tried to kill Rasputin is my... That's not going to work. Yes, it is. Jonya Guseva. Stunning. Okay, so she... Yes, her. Um, ...tried to kill Rasputin. And as she stabbed him, uh, she yelled, I have killed the Antichrist! As she stabbed him? Yeah. Knife has gone into 
Nice he says, reason. she says, I have killed the Antichrist. Right. I like it. Um, yeah. Again, that's... can I just, I have killed the Antichrist. <laughs> Such a dickhead. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was, I just wanted to kind of demonstrate that people had tried to kill him before the time in which he was actually killed. But also, I just kind of wanted to show Sid the picture of the woman with no nose. But, but it didn't work. It didn't work. Where did she stab him? The gut. Wow. He lived. He lived. Yeah, she that was like a very survivable thing. She was 33 at the time. Um, <laughs> cool. That's a fact I also know. Pivotal po- um, point in her life, I suspect. So let's get to the actual death of Rasputin, which is probably one of the most well-known things about him. I think it's one yes, of Yes, the... so uh, can I just go through what I know? Yeah. So, okay. In all honesty, what I did know was that he'd been running away, he'd been shot in the back a few times, kept running, and ended up in a river. Mm-hmm. And survived for a little bit longer, and then yeah. died. Um, but they tried to poison him before that, right? That's cut. Kind of, yeah, exactly. So um, basically, the ringleader, the person who was in charge of this, was of his assassination. Yes, okay. um, was Prince Felix Yusupov, and he was the husband of the Tsar's niece. As you say, um, prince. Then. Yeah. So he was. So he's in the family. Yes. Oh shit. And this was a <laughs> oh dick. Man. Yeah. Whoa. Um. So this was kind of an ultra conservative sect of people within the aristocracy at what, the time. Would he have known about Alexei's hemophilia? I don't know. Mm. Um. Because like either either he was like disagreeing politically and wanted to get rid of him, or he was a real dick. <laughs> I think most likely he hated the negative light that Rasputin cast the royal family Yeah, but like, you know, if you knew about the fact that he had haemophilia. Yeah. So basically, um, Yusupov um, and uh, Vladimir Mitrofanovich Purishkovich, who was a member of the Duma, so the parliament, essentially, and Grand Duke Dmitry Pavlovich, um, who was the Tsar's cousin. I think it's important to know how close to the Tsar these people were. They were the aristocracy. Um, Which makes it worse. Yeah. So much worse. So they formed a conspiracy to kill Rasputin, essentially to save the monarchy from former scandal. And you can read Yusupov's memoirs, um, which are actually really interesting to read, to kind of hear about his perspective um, on things. But the thing that's kind of the most interesting about the death of Rasputin is how difficult he was to kill is the thing that so many people know about Rasputin. So kind of the rundown of events was in December of 1916, Yusupov invited Rasputin to his home and they fed him poisoned wine and cake. And these were poisoned with cyanide. And Rasputin just wouldn't die. And so Yusupov shot him. And Rasputin was obviously shot so that's not ideal um but he managed to continue running he ran and uh then he was ultimately shot again by one of the other men present and ultimately thrown into the neva river where he finally died and some say that he died by drowning but ultimately like recently there have been reports that he was in fact killed by one of the later shots Oh, that's kind of disappointing. Yeah, but one of the things that I actually wanted to kind of... wanted to dispel a little myth. And so I wanted to 
I read a really interesting article in The Guardian. Shout out to The Guardian. Yes. The Guardian are like one of the only newspapers that don't cut off their articles yep. for people who aren't willing Shout to pay. Shout out to The Guardian. Yeah, so, but if you can afford to pay a Guardian subscription to help them keep going, please do that. Because um, we love The Guardian. We love left-wing media. Woo! Um, so... We love unbiased media. <laughs> well, like the BBC. Yeah, because um... all the conservatives say it's biased, biased towards uh, the Labour people, and all the Labour people say it's biased towards conservatives. And so, all in all, I think that must make it pretty balanced. You're the worst. So, I kind of wanted to go through with you some of the uh, like theories on why the cyanide didn't kill Rasputin. Before we do, can I just posit my own? Yeah. From what you've said of him. I just believe he was quite drunk. He was like, you know, he was so drunk that, you know, it sort of, yeah, he had poison in his system, but there was a lot of other poison to get through first because he was wankered. And then he's running away and he's shot. He's like, I haven't got a thing. I'm running. Oh, I've been shot. You know, it's, it's sort of, that, that's what I kind of believe. It's my personal belief. Um, so that is kind of one of the theories. Yes. Um, <laughs> and that is that... Um, he developed um, something called alcoholic gastritis, which basically through like excessive consumption of alcohol can lead to having less stomach acid, which means that potassium cyanide can't be converted into hydrogen cyanide and therefore it's less toxic. So kind of there is like an, an, a possible theory that being an alcoholic saved him. Well, you know, um, for, for a man of hours, surely. Yeah. Um, but there are there are obviously other theories. So the like kind of the the most likely one is that the people who were trying to poison him were a bit shit at what they were trying to do. Yeah. So they either used not enough cyanide or exposed like um, expired cyanide. I, I sort of believe that. Like if I said to you, murder someone tomorrow, <laughs> you've not murdered someone before. He says confidently. <laughs> Um, do you know what I mean? It's sort of, it'd be like a thing like, ooh, you know, I, I, they didn't know what they were doing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I like um, that one. I like all of these theories so far. So there's another theory that Rasputin was aware that someone might try to kill him. Pretty plausible, considering we have specific accounts of people previously so trying just, to kill him. He's just flinging his food into the plant pot behind no. him. No! <laughs> so actually, there's this theory that he had decided to protect himself against poison. Oh, what, and built up his resistance um, to cyanide? There's this idea that he might have ingested sublethal amounts of every known poison um, so that he could develop an immunity, which is this... There's a uh, like myth, legend true historical story about uh, Mithridates, who was the king of Pontus, who did this, apparently. To so build up their resistance. It the... is an actual thing. But I, I'm not sure I buy it for Rasputin. From, from no evidence. Not sure I buy it for Rasputin. Just the vibe I get nah, from my fellow not, horse thief. Not my guy um, Rasputin. Yeah. So that's that's another theory. But it's kind of been said that like cyanide isn't a substance that you can build up a natural immunity to. So that particular theory is probably quite unlikely. And then there's another theory that is also related to the poisoners being shit, um, which is that the like poisoners unintentionally gave him an antidote along with the poison. <laughs> so basically uh, studies have shown that cyanide 
is less effective on people who have fed who have fed a lot of sugar. So the cake. Yeah. So this has been tested on rats, but they were feeding him cyanide in rats. cake and wine. Rat sputum. Rat sputum. Yeah, yeah. I um, accept it as a that, so, yeah, that would so be applicable science. Rat sputum mm-hmm. was fed cakes and wine, which are obviously very high sugar content things, so perhaps that counteracted the impact of the cyanide. And then the final thing is that Yusupov made the whole fucking thing up. So we know that Rasputin was killed. Yeah. We know that yes. he was killed. We, he's definitely not alive he's anymore. He's not alive. Um, and we know that he was killed on that night yeah. by Yusupov or someone who was there. But, and again, 1917. This is during the First World War. Yes, just, just but the most cre- this is 1916, late 1916. 1916. Um, but the most, the only real from the time, from the moment source that we have of it is Yusupov's account. And so Yusupov could very easily have made up. But why would he do that? Like, why would he be like this man who I've just killed, or just you know this man that I've previously killed? was some sort of mystic who could survive cyanide. That feels like he's ramping up something he's trying to put down. Perhaps to increase the mysticism and the horror around Rasputin. Oh, so that's a bad thing that he could die. Yeah, because it makes him seem <laughs> more mystical, more terrifying. Yeah, I'm possibly and looking therefore... at this in the 21st century yeah. now, because I'm like, that makes him cool! That's so fun! <laughs> yeah. Um... <laughs> so yeah, those are those are some of the theories as to why... The like legendary story of how Rasputin died or why he didn't die are kind of like so interesting, I guess. Yeah. I I like to believe. <laughs> and again, just on the whole scope of his life, he was just constantly in drunken haze. They tried to assassinate him and he was like, oh, 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 tastes like cyanide. He's slightly Irish <laughs> in of this course. in this example. Clearly. Um and then yeah, he's running, and he's like, "Can't feel, can't feel a thing, can't feel a thing." <laughs> and then he falls in the river, and he's like, "Actually, I'm starting to feel something now." <laughs> and and yeah, that was it. That was Rasputin. Yeah, so that is that's my research on the life of Rasputin. Somebody who started from quite literally nothing. Yeah. So and again, you gotta you gotta respect the grift. You gotta respect the, uh, you know, the fact. Give it up for the grind. Exactly. You know, um, he he. But like, I don't like that he was kind of built on lies. Like, and again, I'm saying this from perhaps some people believe stuff like this. If you do, I'm afraid you're wrong. Um, <laughs> from the mysticism sense, he didn't cure him through a letter and stuff. He sort of built that around himself, which again, you know, the situation he was in, I can't criticise him for. But I, my conclusion on him as a person, I'm not a big fan. I don't actively hate him. I wouldn't say he's evil. I'd just be like, he's an opportunist. Which, you know, again, in the time, can't judge him for it. But he didn't do anything I would see as particularly commendable. He so was just middle middle of the road. My conclusion is, does this mean you won't let me read your tarot? I've had my tarot read. Really? Yeah, well, Tobias read my tarot cards, of course. We sort of had... It was right before the first COVID lockdown. Um, and it was literally... We were meant to be going in a couple of days. We were meant to go on a flight to Georgia. And we decided not to that night. And we just sort of stayed up till the sunrise, just chatting on everything and like, you know, playing tarot cards or some of it. Yeah. That's so interesting. I didn't know that. Um... Yes. So, at sum up on Rasputin, I'm going to give him, and actually, I've in the, in this last four seconds, 
I've decided we should have a scale for our fate escapers. And I'm going to give Rasputin a five. And I'm, I'm doing this for two out reasons. Out of ten. Okay. I'm doing this for, we can have five, you know, we can do decimals and stuff. But five for two reasons. First of all, as I said, he was very meh. Like, he came up for nothing. And again, you've always got to respect the grind for that. But everyone we're talking about has come up for nothing. You know, that's kind of a given. Um, yeah, and I don't know that he did anything particularly evil. I don't know if he did anything particularly good. Again, both arbitrary concepts, but in my opinion. And my second reason is that I think when you're measuring a bunch of things out of ten, that the first one should always be five. Because <laughs> that, that sort of sets the scale, you know? Um, and so, that. yeah, I gave five for Rasputin. I don't know, what about you? This is a what personal thing. What about me? Um... I know, I think my opinions on Rasputin have changed quite a lot because I first learned about him at A-level, like A-level history. Um, I listened to like a really long like four-episode podcast series on him. Um, last podcast on the left series on Rasputin is really good if you want actual useful information about Rasputin. Um, and I kind of think he just big dick energyed his way into success and i think that's kind of fucking cool yeah and um, I, I gotta respect that because that is of course my plan so uh. <laughs> ew i hate that um but yes as i was saying i've lost it now yeah okay so so you you kind of like you respect rasputin it's not like an act like almost a begrudging respect is that a, i just think what a hashtag girl boss Okay, so it's sort of like a, you're not like, you wouldn't be friends with him, but you got to look at him and go, respect. Listen, if he wants to invite me to an orgy, or if you, Rose Shower, want to... <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, and that's, I think that, that wraps it up. Um, yeah, probably. So that was our first episode. We got continually more out of it yeah, then, throughout. Okay. Hang on, let me, outro. So that's all from us this week. Uh, <laughs> Ew! Okay, but th- this this is, you know, all jokes aside, this is our first episode, you know, we're obviously hopefully going to be getting better as we go along. Um, we're, we're trying different things. If you could let us know, any feedback would be great. If you want to suggest people we could do, or if you just want to say hi. Um, literally an email just saying hi. That's my dream, just, just to piss off Ola. Yeah, um, and where, you where know, can... like, People we could do on the podcast, people I could do in real life. I'm really single, so... Um... You make it a lot for me to cut out. I'm not cutting any of it out, I've decided. It's all going in. Um, all of, where can they reach us to suggest potential hookups for you? Thank you, that is what I want. Um, uh-huh. You can reach us at the Fate Escape Pod on Instagram. We have an email address, thefateescapepodcast.gmail.com. <laughs> so this is the fate escape um a podcast where no, we, we said that. do our best Let me, let's get, get the outro okay i'll put on some music and then we like each other we're best friends even if sid won't admit it um i'm very happy to be doing this with sid because it means that we get to have an excuse to hang out every week and i love him a lot yeah and oh, so oh. yeah I'm, and i'm you know I don't say it enough, but I'm I'm largely indifferent to Orla. Uh, <laughs> no, I you know I do love her. Again, we you know we we're, we're very close friends. It's a chance for us we're to talk. Best friends. We don't do a lot. Um, we're I just, best. Uh, best, best, best.
Oh, you want me to finish it? Best, best, best friends. I'm sorry, I, I thought you were going somewhere. I was like, we're bare what? Uh, we're the bare necessities for your podcasting experience. That is a great point, Seth. Um But that's, yeah, that, that's all from us this week. Um, I can't help but sign this week. I, I, that that's does all from us yeah. this week. And signing off. Join us next time. The Shannon Mayada. We just talk over each other. Yeah. That's the podcast. <laughs> Tune in next week for us to talk over each other well, for another we'll be hour and a half. About... <laughs> Bye. Bye.